0: Tamron lenses deliver a superb fusion of performance and value, letting your camera perform at its peak. They are designed for remarkable optical performance despite their lightweight and compact designs. Tamron lenses, the best lenses make the best photos. Visit tamron-americas.com to learn more. That's tamron-americas.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for November 3rd, 2022. Uh, This week on the No Film School podcast, we are leading with From Troma to Studio Magnate, the journey of James Gunn. We are going to follow up with a new camera from Sony, the A7R5, and some interesting tech that's in there. Uh, I'm going to follow that up with another product called The Moon. And then we're going to wrap it all up with a conversation about spec commercials. Are they worth doing? And what do you need to do to do them right? That is this week on the No Film School podcast. So our top story this week, No Film School podcast, James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2, the good Suicide Squad movie, right? Didn't he do the good one?
2: Yeah, he, he, did, the, he did the one that you, that
3: you said you liked.
1: Yes. yes. Thank you for remembering <laughs> my movie. That touches me. I feel, I feel warm right now.
3: We didn't get introduced today.
1: I don't oh, think shit? we introduced ourselves. Introduce Nobody <laughs> knows who we are. What are you doing, man?
3: I didn't want to throw off the flow. And I think, you know, we can just flow right into it. But like you because no, you laid everything out well. So, but, but we should just in case somebody's happened upon this and like, who's the guy with the mustache or who's one of the guys with the mustache? <laughs> you know, like, who's uh, the lady
0: with the mustache?
3: <laughs> who are these people?
1: Why am you I watching? Why are they talking at me? I
0: don't know them. <laughs> What's happening? Go away.
1: So I apologize. I had a Thai iced coffee for lunch and I am loving life. Just juiced. Uh, All right. I like it. Good for you. Just just like, yeah, there's <laughs> gas in the tank. So I'm Charles Hain. I'm a filmmaker and I cover tech stuff at No Film School. I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. That's me. Hello. Filmmaker, Gigi Hawkins. Hello. And cinematographer and am I a filmmaker on YouTube, Todd Blankenship. Hello. And this is the No Film School podcast. There it is. We've been introduced. Uh, All
0: right. (laughs) And now
1: you now. James Gunn is now in charge of DC Studios. Holy shit, guys.
3: Yeah, I, I brought this up to the group to talk about. I saw it like as I, you know, in my constant Twitter scroll that is both, you know, a waste of my time and life and mental capacity, but also work for No Film School to see what's happening in the world. And when I saw this, I was like, we got to talk about that. We got to write about that. Like, and I know it was last week now. So for those listening, it this is older news for you. But we, like, it was up on the site immediately. People were talking about it a lot. Like, every site covered it. Because I think, like, this kind of news isn't always news that we would care about. But because James Gunn is an indie filmmaker, like, not recently, but originally. Like, very much like Trauma and like you said, and like Slither. Like he was a guy who was doing his own weird things and what he brought to the suicide squad that Charles loves. And I got to say guardians of the galaxy. The first one might be one of my favorite of all the comic book movies. Like I really saw that and I was like, wow, someone finally like made a a really fun, but also like good one, like for me. Um, So I love this arc, and I think it speaks to the, his career arc and narrative is fascinating. It speaks to what's happened in cinema that this is what this is where someone would go. You'd be like an indie horror movie maker, and then you'd be mm-hmm. like, Hey, can you run our comic book movie division? Like, and and that being like the major, major thing these days. So DC's always been grasping at straws. I don't know that he was just for their first choice. I think it was reported that they asked the Marvel guy to do it to try to poach him. But yeah. So, Wait, yeah, which Marvel guy?
2: The main, the uh, yeah, wow, is
3: that how you say his name? Yeah, um,
2: that's that's what I uh, don't quote someone correct. That would would take quite an offer, I feel like.
3: Yeah, I mean, but it makes sense because you're like, yeah, it makes sense, but I think that that was one of their goals. But look, he is other people saw in a lot of people have seen in him what, like, what I saw in Guardians of the Galaxy One, what Charles saw in the Good Suicide Squad. There's like he brings something, some humanity and humor as a filmmaker to these high leveraged corporate projects that, so that's why I kind of like this. Like I like the idea of somebody who cuts their teeth, making the little movies or the strange movies mm-hmm. and keeps bringing character to the movies they make. And, yeah. and that those things then being in a position to make decisions about the kinds of movies we greenlight. because I think, and I'm not trying to, there's been some great, Executives and gatekeepers who came up through different avenues and have defined cinema historically like good ones. Like, I'm not saying that they're all that they all should be ex directors or or current directors, but just to end my ranting here, I think that there is something really cool about trying that out or at least thinking that it's a possible maneuver because who better to know what resonates with these are movies? The people who make the movies might be a good idea to talk about elevating to greater positions of power on the food chain of making movies right Mm.
0: i can't seems like a (laughs) no-brainer totally i and i like being somebody i don't pride myself in knowing too much about the industry but i can't think of any other example of a director who has been elevated into this position so i don't know nothing comes to mind so it's Mm. exciting It's a good point.
3: Not to the studio level. Like sometimes they've run their own little things. Like, like there's the George, like George Lucas, but he built his own outside of the system thing. Or like Coppola's sort of dabbled in that or like, but very, I can't think of one where it was like, Hey, Roman Polito, bad example. Don't want to talk about (laughs) him. Um, Hey, uh, (laughs) Hey, Sam Peckinpah. Why don't you run part of Paramount for a while? Like (laughs) what? Like, no.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's they've DC's just uh they've they've grasped at straws many times and and they've kind of been in the wrong uh, quite a few times and I think it, you know, it just it kind of it, it's a incredible example of of someone rising through the ranks or whatever, but if you look at like sort of what he's done, like he's shown capability of managing multiple storylines on on the Marvel side as well as, you know, he's he's got the peacemaker thing and the the Suicide Squad thing and uh, the upcoming um, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. <laughs> so you know, he, can, he can manage he can manage multiple universes, as it were. And um, you're making
3: th- a really good point that I want to. Do you guys think? I didn't even think about this, but it probably the decision probably has less to do with the things I was talking about and more to do with how he's managed to expand one of his successful things to different platforms, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he's he I mean that to me that's what makes it sort of an pretty obvious slam dunk for them cuz like yes, he does bring that that more human element to to these universes that I think arguably Marvel has definitely been kind of like losing some of and um I think, you know, they they could use a little uh you know, some somebody else looking at certain things now and um, but I guess Wakanda is coming out pretty soon. So we'll see how that one goes, but I don't know. It's, uh, I, I I feel kind of weird. I'm not a huge fan. I, I do also like guardians of the galaxy one and the second one's pretty good. I was not as into suicide squad as Charles was, but we, we, we hashed some of that out. And I think, you know, I, I, I came a little bit more towards his side of the fence than I had previously been, but, um, yeah, I mean, good for him. Right. I mean, He's 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 living the dream, I guess. And uh to go from like being borderline canceled to now a studio head—that's pretty quite a quite a comeback story, I guess. I forgot about for what that. that for he, what that's worth. He
3: came back from the dead to do yeah. this. <laughs> and, uh, c- c- I mean, quite his way,
1: cancellation was always one of the messy cancellations. His cancellation <laughs> with bad Twitter jokes, which yeah, is like was a... those were some pretty stupid Twitter jokes you made in two thousand nine but I don't know if stupid jokes... I mean, there are certainly stupid jokes that should end your career, but I don't know that those were the stupid jokes that are real career enders. I feel like it was a... I felt like that one was sort of a coordinated attempted cancellation by some online mm. haters. There was
3: Yeah, I, it, yeah. There, there was a rash of those. There were a number of people who were like... that. We dug up all their inappropriate jokes and everybody was like, eh. <laughs> they're not that awful. <laughs> like, you know, it's bad, but it's not... Yeah. There was an attempt to do that. Yeah, well, and that oh, brought what? in the whole tell the whole
2: conversation of like, what is the sliding scale of joke that is too bad to right, to make? Right. And you know, like that whole argument, which was we could do an know, entire hour
3: podcast, on <laughs> right? <that>. right,
1: right. <laughs> and get <laughs> I'm, nowhere. I'm going to tell you what: there's already <laughs> enough hours of podcasts about how offensive a joke can be. Mm, I'm yeah. willing to bet that there are more than a thousand hours of podcasts we could find. About Isn't that all Joe Rogan's ever jokes. talked about on yeah. his podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know about the Kevin Feige thing, and the Kevin Feige thing is actually really fascinating to me. I mean, look, every, many of us have been the second choice for a job. I've definitely met people, and they've been like, "Oh, you're on that gig." I was up for that gig. Like, it is a thing. I've replaced people on jobs, so it's it's like part of life. What is funny to me is that DC went to Kevin Feige because how how big a money bag do you dangle? When you're DC and you're trying to get the head of Marvel to come over to DC, like that must have been a very large bag of money to even feel like they were really in that conversation. And he still passed, but it is such a weird feel to, you know. I mean, the equivalent is like if the head of GM tried to go get the head of Chevy, which I guess is what happened with Lee Iacocca. Is they successfully, but Lee Iacocca had already been fired, trying to get the in place head of a rival studio, like the rival, like there is dark. Nut Horse doesn't have a movie studio that I know of. And man, what a what a swing. I
0: respect the hustle. Yeah. What is the lifespan of a studio head generally? Because I don't know if you guys know this, but CMOs have like a 1 to 4 year lifespan generally. Oh. And then it's like, well, this isn't working anymore, like you're out. Next.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good question. I don't I mean, how many studio heads are there even like uh, I, I five, can't even, yeah, can be. I don't know. Well, I and mean, that, what, what's funny, I'm Disney, just glad. So,
1: technically, Kevin King's in charge, but he's not the CEO of Disney, he's just the head of Marvel Studios, right? Yeah, but he's amazing. so
3: I just had to fact check because we started down this road and I was like, I better have been right about this, and I was.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, it seems already. like
3: oh, wow. that, yeah, if I if I reported back, I was wrong, but it seems like they did offer, they approached him. And it looks like he said, no, I don't want to read. And, and it's, But but then there was some question to uh, James Gunn because he has a prior relationship with Feig and they worked on stuff together at Marvel. And it was like, are you enemies or rivals now? And James Gunn was like, he was the first person I told or maybe the second person he Aww. told about getting it and that they root for each other. And that the goal is not that it's not a zero sum game. It was like a dollar for one is not a dollar away from the other. Like we're trying to keep theaters booming and we're trying to do blah, blah, blah. blah. And so I think that's kind of cool. Because I love like that. As, yeah. I like, cause that. Cause as, Charles, as Charles pointed out, the thing of sometimes you're not the first choice or sometimes like th- there is a, I think, I think part of the problem, which we talked about. And we never followed up on this, but very shortly after we talked about the idea of box office numbers being damaging to the industry, uh, Martin Scorsese said it because he listens to the podcast and he just always copies everything that comes out of our mouths, as far Classic as I can remember. Classic
0: Marty. But, like,
3: but no, but he uh, he said the same thing, basically. And I think in the exact same vein, this idea that this is a competition among people in this industry, that it's like a sporting event, that it's like who made the most money is like. Mm-hmm. It's not a real thing, like because there's not just a certain number of audience every weekend that everybody's fighting for. There's a mass, mass, mass of people and definitely not most of them are going to movies. So like many, many movies could have massive weekends and develop massive followings and not even have to worry. Hey, by the way, people could see two movies in a day or two movies in a weekend. It is possible. Like they could see three movies in a week. Like yeah. they could rent multiple, they could belong. So there's something framed that it's like, oh, it's DC versus Marvel. Like that's more just like a fan thing. That's not like, every they're in the same business. They lift each other up. They work together. Like yeah. there's no, um, and I think we all should should recognize at every level of the ladder, kind of like one person's success is not your failure. Like yeah. your friend's success is a good thing for you. People you know doing well does not mean less opportunities for you. It probably means more. It's a huge misconception. So I think it's a great example of like people at the very top of this thing being like, hey, we're doing well. You're doing well. I'm doing well. You know, mm-hmm. not like, fuck, he's my enemy now.
0: <laughs> that does feel like a very comic y narrative to put on these two studio heads of like, now they're rivals and they'll fight. Uh, but <laughs> I like that they're, they're, um, taking the high that they're friends and that, that the, the story that it, though, we often forget that it's the people who we come up with that we work with and that are our closest, um, people that we want to share our projects with and, and that we can trust. And I think of like my one year in film school where I, I made some like great partnerships with people who we were supporting each other's projects. And I think it's really, especially like in the early days of, you know, becoming, finding your filmmaker footing, supporting others and celebrating other people's success and showing up for them makes such a
2: difference. For sure.
3: sure. That one year where, Charles ripped apart all your work with the harshest. <laughs> I <laughs> love, I love it. I he was, loved he it. was doing this right when you said that it was perfect. He was like, yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> I was just, I was just telling a friend who is, who was pretty down on herself about her first direct, the first thing she ever directed. And she's like, I'm just a perfectionist. And I referred to the Ira Glass, the gap thing, but I was also like, you have to learn how to edit. You can Download DaVinci Resolve for free. It'll make you so much more confident as a director. And I'm like, I took one class. Charles taught me everything, and the rest I learned on YouTube. So, like, it was, you know. Anyway, I digress. But I, I, love I, I loved my semester learning under Charles. Me <laughs> Good job, everything Charles. I knew.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. I love to it's hear great that. Great there. So I was curious, all um, right, because I real I realized I didn't know, um, I didn't know anything about like where. Uh, five, is it Feige I don't, I don't even know how you pronounce his last name maybe it is Feige there's Feige been,
0: Feige
2: there's what, three different Feige,
0: Feige. Paul
3: Feige Paul
2: Feige. Um, Feige I was just Paul curious oh oh
3: oh him. Him. we're talking yeah. about the direct oh no were we talking about there's Kevin or were we talking about
2: Feige, Feige? Ke- Kevin okay. the guy the mar- Marvel guy whatever Marvel however guy, okay. you say the man's name I was curious <laughs> what where he came from and like maybe how he might have known um Gunn beforehand or whatever And so it turns out he, and I'm, this is very deep research I'm doing here on Wikipedia. It's just one paragraph, (laughs) but it says that he was, he was, he was just an assistant producer for someone named Lauren, Lauren Shuler Donner on you've got mail. And then they worked on the first X-Men film. And apparently he was just such a nerd about Marvel stuff that they, they just started giving him the, the MCU after that. So he just like met someone as an assistant, which is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story.
3: That is a very cool story.
2: According to Wikipedia. (laughs) Trademark. Thank you,
3: Wikipedia.
0: (laughs) Get ready to elevate your photography game with the Tamron 28-75mm to F2.8DI3VXD G2, designed for Sony mirrorless cameras. This cutting-edge lens brings you unparalleled resolution and exceptional overall performance in a sleek, lightweight design. Experience the magic of soft, stunning bokeh effect with its nine-blade circular aperture design. Featuring Tamron's advanced VXD autofocus motor, the Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter G2 ensures lightning-fast, precise autofocus, capturing every moment with unparalleled speed and accuracy. Creatively capture close-up wonders with its impressive maximum magnification ratio of one to two point seven at 28 millimeters. But that's not all. Introducing the revolutionary Tamron Lens Utility, an innovative feature that makes customization and firmware updates a breeze. Simply connect the lens to your computer or your Android smartphone through the weather-sealed connector port and unleash a world of possibilities. The Tamron 28 to 75mm G2 will redefine your photographic experience. Gear up with Tamron and capture the extraordinary today. Learn more at Tamron-Americas.com. That's Tamron-Americas.com. All right,
1: moving on. Our next story this week. Sony has launched the A7R5. If you have trouble remembering Sony's naming, A7 is what they call the camera most of us buy. The A9 is like the fancy one. But the A7 is like the one we can afford. And R is for resolution. And S is for speed. And uh, the A7S is the one most filmmakers own. Although weirdly, I know I've seen filmmakers who buy the R when it comes out. Um, and the big deal with the A7R5, which is the new one, is that it is using artificial intelligence in the autofocus. And uh, autofocus is a thing. Like 10 years ago, nobody used autofocus. It's, it was bad. And like you'd be like shooting, and then it would like lose the eyes, and then get the eyes back, and lose the eyes, and get the eyes back. And unless you deliberately wanted that effect, you didn't use it. But autofocus in the last five years or so has gotten, like, really, really good. To the point where, like, on a dock, I use it all the time. But, like, on narrative for certain shots, you use it now. It's weird. Autofocus got great lately. And the big thing with AI autofocus that's fun is AI autofocus can identify objects based on what they are. So it'll be like, oh, that's a person. And because I know that's a person, I know you want that to be in focus. And with the A7R5, it'll identify, like, insects if you're doing nature photography it'll identify dogs or cats it'll identify all this stuff and fucking wild shit now i have to say i did a demo a week ago and i'm going to write about this on no Film List, so this you can read the article on the no phone's school uh with the folks from moon autofocus todd have you seen the moon the moon no, yet no so it's an ai autofocus out of sweden uh it's 24 grand so it's designed as a rental ah. item it is not designed as a purchase unless you're like a top first AC. but holy fucking shit So you mount it on top of your camera. It's like uh, Intel makes a, you guys remember Microsoft Connects. There used to be like a depth sensor you could get for your Xbox 360. Intel now makes a similar thing. It's like a $500 depth camera. And the moon just uses that. And they're very upfront that they use it. So if Intel comes out with a better one, you can just get the better one. Like it's not a special depth camera. But then they take that, they feed it into a brain and they build an AI profile that like literally, I was watching the demo, and like everybody in frame could be identified as people, and all of their distances were just laid out. And I was like, "Mother fuck!" Yeah, they call them people meatbags because is, for it, privacy is it lidar? Reasons, they don't, you know, it's infrared. I think the oh, the okay. um, the Intel thing is, I believe, an infrared depth sensor. I know Kinect was infrared. I think the Intel camera is infrared too. Nice. So for privacy reasons, they don't build a profile of people. Mm -hmm. like it's literally like it's just meatbags walking around Mm -hmm. because they were like well we could profile all of the people but then what would we do with that data that would get weird real fast but what was cool about moon is they were like well you know we're we're targeting high productions so if you're working like on a creature movie ai might not work like if you're doing guardians of the galaxy and you've got someone with blue spikes on their head your ai is not going to recognize that as a person but if you bring us to your effects tests We'll build an AI profile for that person too. And then they'll get identified as that person. You're doing a werewolf movie. We'll build an AI picture of that werewolf. And it really got me thinking about the whole coming of AI to autofocus. And especially like the Sony, because what's interesting about the moon from Sweden is half of their team are machine learning scientists, like half of the devs, all they do is machine learning. And I was really wondering like, is Sony licensing their machine learning tech? Do they have an internal machine learning team? Like, how frequently are the updates going to come? Because if there's one thing I know about AI and machine learning, is that the updates are like fucking fast and furious at this point. Like the tech is yeah. crazy in its growth rate, even this year alone. Yep. So I really wonder about like, I'm excited that Sony's mass marketing a thing where the camera has AI out of focus. But I also wonder if in two years we're going to be like, this AI autofocus doesn't even fucking, it can't even identify people or whatever. In like a way, you, you that should be able to think about change.
2: what you want in focus. And like, we're, that's what we're used to in the future. Like we wear a little headband that reads our thoughts and yeah. knows what, what thing we and want in just- focus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Like, I, I don't Do know what, if you watch.
3: When, when we talked about LIDAR and stuff before, I remember saying to you guys or suggesting or thinking like, will we get to the point where, Cause we, cause it'll like detect where your eye is, where like, it'll know where you look, where you want it to focus. That's the thing that blows my mind. Like if I was looking at a screen and I was like, I want that part to be in focus. And yeah, then it just, like, like follows your zaps eye. Yeah. in and I would just be like, what the fuck is going well, on? Well, I
2: mean, that, that, v- VR headsets have eye scanning technology and it, it focuses more resolution where your eye is actively looking. So I could totally see, like you know, like you're. What if like ACs start wearing visors now, and and you're just looking at what you want in focus? Like,
3: I mean, they'd have that, to develop the skill of ide- of really focusing on the thing and not messing it up, right? Right. But right. the, the it's tech crazy. already
2: exists. But I don't know if you watch the the little the the trailer for the release of the A7 R5. But it's like you can see the what the AI is doing, and it's like it'll it, it recognizes the human form it, rec- it recognizes limbs even when out of focus and it actually applied like a uh, and i'm I, i'm assuming that it's at, at least somewhat based in the in the real technology and not just like a rendering that they made i hope it's not just like something that they just overlaid on top for the video itself but like it's using a video
3: game cutscene. well yeah (laughs) but
2: actual gameplay it's it's (laughs) you utilizing like the same tech that is being applied to motion capture animation now where you can feed you can just take video of people moving and stuff and ai will look at the video and knows okay here's where the arm is and, and then it gives you like a an animated mesh based from that so it's like i'm we could we could really quickly be doing motion cat. Like you could just swap out a person with a robot and not never even need like, it, it could just be part of the file almost like this is getting nuts. And like, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know the, the potential. Wait, can is you re- break
3: down how different that is from where we've been? Like, because I kind of follow you, but I kind of don't. Like- okay.
2: So like the camera that you're holding in your hand can now see the armature as it were, of a person's body moving. And if you say I want you to focus on the eyes, it's going to know that's not eyes, that's an arm. That's a leg. Okay, so uh, extrapolate that a little bit further and say, you know, you what if someone comes out with a camera that can bust out like a an armature for VFX with a person and you could just be like I want that person, you know, to give me an armature of like a a robot. And boom, you got motion capture data and you're recording it in your camera. But I mean, that's that's a little bit silly. That's I like a little bit further along than we are. But for right now, our cameras saying. are like, they know, hey, that's a bug. Hey, that's a car. Hey, that's a train. And yeah. holy shit, that's insane.
1: Yes. Um, so so listen, to answer your question a little more, George, what, 10 years ago, the way you would have done motion capture is I'd have my hand out here and I'd have a big cage around it. And there'd be yeah. a camera over here on one side, a camera on the other side, a camera up above, a camera over here, you'd have hundreds of cameras. And then they're shooting everything from all these directions and then you have to take all that camera data and you have to process it at all to build a 3D model. Because I've got all these cameras all the way. It's a huge data processing thing. You're paying data firms to process the data. You have to have like dedicated artists handling the motion cap. About five years ago, we moved to something where it was more suit-based. On a big show, you'll still see the big motion capture stages. But like on little shows, it moved to suits. I said, a glove on, everybody. And so, like, <laughs> you know, awesome. so your with, gloves, there's a glove, you're on. listening to an audio only. Would there uh, be ping pong the, balls Rococo, on the glove? Well, no. So better than that. So Rococo realized that the sensors in your iPhone give you position and accelerometer data. So Rococo made these suits that have hundreds of sensors in them that are basically iPhone sensors. So it's basically mm-hmm. like... You can tell when the hand turns. You can tell when it moves. And so they can build a 3D model based on all of your positioning by wearing these suits and these gloves that have all of the data built into it. You don't even need the ping pong balls. The suit just records the data. And like I've done, you know, fun live demos where like you can plug a Rococo suit right into Maya and then like the person's moving around and like the frog in Maya is moving around to match the suit perfectly. Right. But what Todd's talking about is he's like, I mean, with the depth, you know, on like your iPhone, your iPhone has a desk camera in it, which is how it does that cinematic mode uh, autofocus mm-hmm. and cameras are getting so good that they either take that depth mode or even without depth mode. The AI is able to like look at my hand and be like, that's a hand. Those are fingers. Let me, let me build a model of that. And it's like, well,
3: shit, how, yes, yes, I get it. Yeah, so I was I
2: was going to get VFX, out my Rococo suit and and also have the the visual <laughs> element going, but it's it's. Oh, you, you know, have a
1: Rococo suit?
2: I have two. <laughs> nice. I, I, I'd, I'd be I'd be living that yeah. motion capture life over here.
3: Wait, why aren't we making more weird videos with those? Where you're two dancing frogs? Say, for, like, <laughs> no, we <laughs> need to have you in a Rococo
2: <laughs> we, suit next week,
3: and we then go, have- like, yeah. I'm I'm in. Man. Oh. Let's do it. Let's re- replace Todd with some kind of cartoon next time on the podcast.
2: <laughs> cartoon. I feel like I'm cartoonish enough <laughs> you know as it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Yeah, guys, we should crazy.
1: do it for our Christmas episode. Okay. And we, should all go, we should all be animated for the Christmas episode. Give yes. us a little time to think about. Oh,
3: it. like claymation y Yeah, I
0: was going to say, like, like uh, a little stop motion y. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I okay. call the cold miser or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Moving on, our last topic this week is someone is curious about making a spec commercial.
0: Who would that be? Oh, it's me. Uh, Okay, (laughs) so the context for this is way back in the day, I was an intern at a small film production company in Berkeley. We did a lot of explainer videos in tech, and I recently reconnected with a woman who started her own company, and they do a lot of like tech-branded stuff, and she so kindly and generously was like, I want to support you as a director. Let me, I love your work. It's just a little too risque to show to clients. And she's like, maybe, maybe this one will work. But again, like a very open-minded client. So do you have any specs? Do you have anything that is brand related? And so I've been noodling on a couple different ideas that I have, but my question is like, where do I get started? I've seen a couple of specs out in the world that are like very like a little cringy to me. And then I've seen the sort of like epic Nike ones. And I have a couple of friends who have brands that I'm like, let me do, make something for you. But the thing with specs is I think there has to be a production, a certain quality of the production. And so I'm kind of curious to hear what y'all think about getting started and like the things that I should be thinking about at this early stage of, I want to make something that's polished, professional and showcases my work as a director.
1: Hmm. Charles, I feel like- oh, I mean, I I'll like... go first. I've got a lot of opinions on specs. So there's two challenges to a spec. One is the creative and two is the production value. So let's just talk about the creative first. The number one thing that makes a spec fail in my experience, and I've watched thousands of specs at this point, is the creative doesn't feel like it's actual agency creative. It is either too risque or too clever or too special or too precious or something, and it doesn't actually feel like agency creative. The thing you should know about agency creative is agency creative usually goes through 100 rounds of notes and revisions, and it polishes out the thing that's too risque, and it polishes out the thing that's too clever, and it it hits sort of a mass market, and one of the biggest flags for me when I see a spec, where I'm like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. That's like it's like it's 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 clearly not a real commercial. Your goal with the spec is it should feel like a real commercial. It should trick people at an agency into thinking it's a real spot. And mm-hmm. so if it's got like dick jokes that are like too wild for Nebraska, it's no longer gonna feel like a real commercial. The best advice I can usually give students, and you're already well set up, is to get rejected um creative from a friend in an agency. So if you've got someone who you know at an agency, the problem is that was much easier 20 years ago. Now, the way agency contracts work is everything you pitch belongs to the client, which is so dumb. But so it's much harder for like your buddy in an agency to give you a rejected spec. But I still know people who manage to get their hands on it and like take a take an agency pitch that almost went and didn't and make that. And mm-hmm. that is going to feel the most like actual agency creative and you're going to be the closest you're possibly going to get. You're in a position where you have a friend who theoretically has a really good sense of it. And like, I don't know how willing she is to go back and forth with you, but like, if you can develop creative with her, where it can go through some rounds before you really lock it in, I think you're gold, or you should hopefully get some of that working with your friend's brands. Cause the other thing I always say is if you can make it for a real brand where there's a real client and they're going to give you real stakes, um, that is so much better. Then the, the other half of uh, specs is the production quality just has to be very, very high.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: when you're watching through a whole day of, you know, if I'm looking at specs, it's because we're hiring somebody or there's some reason I'm looking at specs. And like, if everybody else's is, is like pitch perfect and then one has amazing creative, but looks like it was poorly shot, it you're comparing it to all these other like super slick fucking specs. Yeah. So your spec commercial should really be a time where you like pull a bunch of papers. Your buddy with an Alexa or your buddy with a Blackmagic 12K or your buddy with like something good you know your friend with nice lenses your friends with like you know i saw an amazing spec the other day where clearly they got a day with the laowa para probe and or like they wrote it knowing what that probe could do and they did this amazing thing with like it was a starbucks spec the creative was a little too creative to be honest it was a little too interesting for a starbucks commercial like you can't be that interesting but it was still like i noticed it and i was like ooh, you did this cool thing with the para probe that like you got your hands on that looks very polished and its only flaw as a spec was it was a little too smart. Uh, it was a little too like impressed with its own smartness. And yeah, I mean, you really have to do, No, there are exceptions. There's like famous stories of people who are like, oh, I just got together go with my friends and shot this on my phone. And like the con- the creative was so good. But almost every time when you dig into those stories, it is, oh, well, I've been at this agency for like five years. And there was this idea that we would not and I was like, oh, you already knew the f- client. Yeah. So like, and you already had this creative and you just went out with your friends and pitched right. it right for like a true, we even had an article on no film school like this. That was great. It was a great article about doing specs and halfway through the article was, well, and I, my uncle was at the brand. So I knew, and I was like, Oh, 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 oh okay. This is how, the you know, end. the article was all about like how I made a spec that sold to the brands. And I was like, then you really should put in the first paragraph that your uncle's at the, brand, like, because I don't judge it, but that gives you insight. The other thing you should know about a spec is that it, and it sounds like you're already there. There are stories online about like to make a spec and you sell it to the agency. That is very rare Mm -hmm. because agencies have like creative goals mapped out for 24 months of like, I'm hitting this story point or I'm hitting this. I have this key KPI, key performance index um, that I'm trying to hit. So like, you know, that article we have on no film school indicator. Yes. I'm not in marketing, but you were, (laughs) um, that one on the, the the uncle, I was like, I, I wonder if the uncle gave them some insight about what yeah, the I brand's goals were in the next eighteen months. Um, but you're not trying to sell the spec; you're trying to use the spec to get other work.
0: Exactly. So if you
1: have a brand that you can work with, and then the other thing is, it is not all on a big commercial. Usually, the person shooting the product work is the same person shooting the narrative work. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions. On a spec, if you know a great narrative DP and a great product dp it is okay to take those to two different people because Mm. the kind of people who are still shooting a lot of specs um might not be great at both the product work and the narrative work and those are two very different skills in cinematography on the flip side i know huge commercial people who are still shooting specs because the stuff that actually gets made is so boring a lot of the Mm -hmm. time that like if you want to keep working you have to do a spec or two a year so you have more interesting stuff on your reel but you know those bigger commercial DPs who still do a spec a year are working with the bigger commercial directors doing their spec a year. As you're climbing up the ladder, if if you come up with a good spec and there's like a nice pack shot at the end, like a good product thing, you should be open to the possibility of like, maybe I might need to find, because product work is a very specific universe. Yeah. Todd, what did I miss? Well,
2: I I think I have some like follow-up questions to get y'all's opinion on then based on what you were just saying. So like, uh, spec, yeah, spec is kind of a thing that if I'm asked onto a gig and they're talking about spec, I get a little bit more like, eh, maybe I won't do that one. But I, there's a production company I do a lot of work with that they they sort of have this policy of like, they do, it, it's it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like someone that they know or like a local business that they know are, are just going to let them go balls to the wall and have some fun. And and they do just like a wacky thing, just like just g- as as wacky as they want the creative to go, to, just to really kind of show like this is really kind of who we are. This is kind of like what we like. Mm-hmm. They and they do that, and and it's actually really worked out for them. It's like they kind of get clients who they sort of like do it in this way where it's like making it clear like we can do the other stuff too. Like their website is like you know leads with the more boring commercial stuff but then they're like but this is kind of really who we are. So if you want some of this, we can do that. Like
1: mm-hmm.
2: what what do you think of that approach? Like like kind of having one just like spec commercial but it's just like you just go, you know, like you don't you don't do the safe No,
1: your spec needs to be more interesting than a completely normal ad, but not so wild it's not believable, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. your specs should be cooler than the shit you're booking as a job, for sure. You just you know there's a spectrum of like truly wild shit that's probably too wild to be in any ad and you want to like come close to that in your spec but yeah you should still be more interesting than the like completely mainstream stuff that gets million dollar budgets
2: yeah yeah and it like one thing that i kind of keep almost doing and talking myself out of is like trying to make some like fake product based like cg commercials like like making stuff that's fully CG based because like that's obviously a big part of the industry is like you know making shiny soda cans look really appetizing to crack one open or whatever and Mm -hmm. I was sort of think about giving one of those a try but then it's like you know I might as well just like have a cool shot of a like I think I'd have more fun just like having like playing with robots and like spaceships and stuff like I, I, I don't know that's not really what I'm trying to do but it's then the question is like do I come up with like a fake brand or do I try to make it seem like I'm doing Pepsi over here like, should I make a Nike commercial or should I take some pictures of my old stinky shoe and like pretend like it's like a cool you know, product? I don't know. I, I never know what to do. Or just none of that. I don't know.
0: I do think that there's power in restraint, uh, when it comes to cause a brand is gonna wanna work with somebody who can like play within their rules and um and and part of me wonders is if the the big picture thing that you're speaking about, Todd, like, is that a spec or is this a short that you actually want to make? Like, would True. you be better served letting your, you create the story that you want to create and play with these robots than like doing a tongue-in-cheek Nike shoe commercial? I don't know because that right. also sounds really funny to me. <laughs> um, and, but I I think that there, it's, it's interesting. I I When I was in the New York comedy scene, there was a UCB class about like improv and commercials and there's this trend now of uh bringing on improv people and i see my ucb teachers all the time in commercials where they are there are setups and then they just have them improvise lines for which feels almost like sketch comedy so uh, like that's something that i've been toying with where it's like you you get to flex your skills as like a comedy director or in sketch but there's it's still in the context of like you know what the phone brand that is like we don't become your parents like right uh i don't know i forget what it is but um as opposed to where is like, mobile i think it i think so there's a very funny improviser in there uh who i studied under and i'm like she made that up that's so funny and but it's like a different it, i don't know it feels like it scratches that itch of of creative element uh while playing within the rules of the brand so
3: mm. i don't think i've ever been involved in creating a spec. I've had a couple of, so I can't answer that part. And I'm trying to think of how I can bring value to this because I've had a couple of times where I worked on branded content, basically commercials or ads. Like I do have experience with those and with client dealing with clients and with dealing with the middle gate people, persons that are like the agencies and some success. Like there were a couple of times where I was like, okay, like I think one of them was like American Express was a client. They have leftover money from a campaign, pitched some ideas and we pitched a couple and they liked one and we wrote it and we did it and we got to use their money and stuff like that. And I'm trying to think of like with those instances, I've had a couple of those where, is there any value I can bring to the conversation about a spec? And I don't know that there is, <laughs> <laughs> except okay. that what I, think answer I, is what I think- is no. <laughs> I think all I can stretch to say kind of about it is that I personally- what I, what I think I gathered out of it beyond that I don't really like doing it was that I think that there's something that, that Charles said that aligned with me, which, which is that the, the thing that's closer to the middle of the road, this is probably advice on anything, but it's probably the way to go. Because I think a lot of them are geared towards thinking about not complicated or edgy things. So it's kind of like the way you might think about if you're going to pitch a network sitcom. Like, you don't want to get complicated mm-hmm. with the joke or with the mentality or with the, the, the... There's ways to be... It's a gift, right? It's like, not. I don't look down my nose at it. Like, it's a gift to be able to do something that's, like, interesting, but, but enough down the middle of the plate that it's going to hit. Like, Arrested Development is phenomenal, but there's a gift to being able to do Seinfeld. Because Seinfeld doesn't... Do, it's not painting the black. It's like, boom, it's down the middle. And it's plenty genius and weird. But like, it, like that's the kind of thing where like, can you be clever in that context? Mm-hmm. Because I think that of the many, many, many times I tried to pitch things, the ones that worked and went were not ones where we were like, this idea is so good. We were like, this idea is so good. It was like, this idea is kind of basic. And like... It's not going to blow anybody's mind, but it worked in a way that was like, so I think that what happens like that, that I feel like Charles was kind of talking about that, that you have to kind of caution against is like, if you create that spec, that's like brilliant, but like, there's no place for it except for in the bubble you're familiar with, because I know the sketch comedy world too, really well. And that's what I was coming out of. And it had to be like, like many, 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 many levels removed from the middle of the plate for the people in that community to laugh. Cause you had to be like layering your ironies yeah. and like mocking the very form itself. That's what makes me laugh. Like yeah. I'm not gonna like, that's that's what it takes to get me excited. <laughs> like like the, the basic stuff doesn't work. But like, if you, you have to find a way and everybody I know who succeeded in those worlds was always like, it was my simplest idea. It was my least complicated pitch. It was my, not because people are stupid or anything like that, just because you have to try and cast that wide, wide, wide net. And so to me, if you're making a spec that you're just trying to demonstrate that you could do another open job, open directing job, well, that I don't have the answer for. And that might be, but I do think if you're trying to actually win jobs from like the creative standpoint, you need to demonstrate creative that like is is very accessible. Still clever, but just not like you Not can't fall back baseball. on
0: the hmm. I think And you
3: can't fall back on the jokes that are like pushing any kind of envelope. Yeah. Really. Like I know sometimes we see those and they work, but like it's so it's so rare. subtle. Yeah, so to, subtle.
0: To your point George about the like the simplicity, it's actually really hard to pull off something clear and simple. It takes a lot of work, and I think uh, sometimes I get annoyed by the sketch community that gets a little like it's almost as if sometimes people are making things but holding back because they're i I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before but holding back in terms of the risk that they're willing to take like they're not going to try to make it good clear and simple because that in itself is a risk and a vulnerability versus like holding back in comedy and like like winking at the camera and being like i I'm not even trying that hard and here we are laughing at it like that feels like a safe space to play in in the sketch comedy space, particularly, but when a commercial is or like when a spot and in spots these days are like can be 15 seconds like a Hulu spot is they're they're tiny these bumper ads on YouTube. But if you can convey something that's like smart and tight and, and in five or 15 seconds like that is very impressive.
3: So hard, and like you, you said something you well said that simple is hard. like um, comedy is hard, and a lot of what makes a, an ad work or a spot work usually has some is some cousin of comedy in that it's there's a surprise, the element of comedy that is a surprise where it's like a, upending an expectation a little bit. it's just really hard to execute that, and that's why most people don't try it. and like I like plug that like I talked to a different fig, Paul Feig, the director on this podcast recently. And he was saying, like, the reason comedy doesn't get awards, the reason people don't respect it the same way is because it's just, it seems easy, but it's really hard. Like, but it looks easy. It looks like we didn't have to try very hard and we just made that stuff up. And like, but it's, that's the hard thing. Same with commercials, I think. Like, I don't think it gets the same respect creatively, but like, my God, think about all the things you're trying to balance and how little time you have to accomplish it. And there's clients and agencies, and there's also the biggest possible audience, and there's there's a, there's an agenda beyond just telling a good story. So I, yeah, I think it's a really hard thing to do and probably really valuable exercise.
1: Mm. I just want to throw a shout out to a couple of books. One, in terms of like thinking about comedy, there's a great Bossy Pants by Tina Faye is a great book. And she talks a lot about like building a writer's room. And she's like, well, you gotta be careful because if it's too many Harvard Lampoon people, it's just jokes about like Splenderson's Poverty Bill, representing comedy for 80 years. And then if it's too many Chicago improvisers, it's just people yelling catchphrases at each other and punching each other in the face. And you're like, you need a balance of like, you need it to both be funny, but also be some intellectual. And the other thing you should look at is a book called 30 Second Storyteller. It's about Mm -hmm. 15 years old, which is infinity in commercial time. Commercials are so wildly (laughs) different than they were even 15 years ago. But six months ago, actually, yeah. I mean, commercials have changed during the pandemic. They are different than they were two years ago. Remember spring of 2020, where it was like in these times was the start of every single fucking commercial (laughs) in these difficult times. Hertz rent a car will be there. We haven't
3: seen any difficult times commercials lately.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Everything's a little bit more precedent. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's precedent times again. We're back to precedents. Yeah. But thirty second storyteller makes a good point, which I think uh, I neglected to say earlier, and I should have, which is that you can spend the rest of your career trying to break out of the box that you're going to get put in. But you should start your career by picking a box. And mm. you know, there, like, I have a buddy who works in commercials, and he works in pets, and he likes to joke. He is a small dog director, and that when they have big dogs, if it's a lab, they're not looking at him because he doesn't have big dogs in his reel. He does small dogs, and like, it's a joke. <laughs> he's exaggerating, but he's like. You know, commercial people want to hire. Everything in commercials is cover your ass. It's all CYA. Mm. It is all, I. this is a small dog spot. Let's get somebody we know is good at small dogs. And like moving out of small dogs to big dogs and then fucking into cats is like a lot of work. <laughs> so you want to go ahead and like, if comedy is your jam, if comedy is the shorts you've been making, if that's your thing, like be like, okay, comedy. I am putting myself in the comedy director box. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do specs that are really fashion-y. I'm not trying to do specs that are automotive or tech. I'm doing comedy. It could be comedy in tech, but it's comedy and mm. picking a box and saying, this is the avenue I'm going to use to get in. And then you can spend the next 30 years trying to break out and do other stuff and be Billy Wilder. But in the start, making it easy. I remember I was meeting once with a like an agency rep who was like, you really need to make it easy for me to know who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like a nice, he was a very blunt guy. That guy, he was like, and it was a criticism on his part. He was basically saying, you are your reel right now is too broad. And I want to know, like, I want to know what I should think of you for. When I see a thing, I want to be able to think, oh, Charles, this. And there were too many different things on my reel at that time. And he was like, I don't really know what to think of you for. And if um, you,
3: I, I just love this line that you've gone down here because there's been a lot of good stuff you dropped. But I think the funny thing is, That I immediately was like, well, commercials are comedy, but it's like, they're not all, but that's all I've ever, because all I was, all I did, like I was, the box for me was comedy. Like, and so everything I did and came to was like, is this comedy and how, and like, I didn't ever experience any pitch that was like, we're trying to make this car look sexy. Like, it was like, I never had the opportunity to be exposed to that. Like, so I think it's just always so smart to try and figure out what's the box I want to be in because they're going to put me in it and that's it. Like and then you'll break out like like Charles said if you will dedicate yourself to it. But I just love that you're like make the spec hit the spec in the box you're, yeah. you want to be identified with instead of being like spraying two different many different directions. It's just always good advice.
0: I think that also I I love the to contextualize it and he's a small dog director. That's, yeah. I that advice I've heard time and time again in other elements of other aspects of this filmmaking world like as if you want to get into a writer's room have two say similar-ish but different spec scripts that you can use as writing samples so like have your small dog pilot and your small dog feature that's you know different breeds of small dogs but like it helps it really helps and then we see other we see people who have broken out of their boxes like we look at um James Gunn. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and it's 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 so easy to be overwhelmed and feel like you need to do all these different things. But if you can just zero in and like appreciate your time in your box, like love your box.
3: Everybody wants to hire people for the thing they who have done the thing they're hiring for. And it's so hard when you're trying to get hired because you're often looking to get hired. at something that maybe you want to do that you haven't done, but it needs to be as niche. Like the way Charles's friend talks about it, like the small dog thing. Like it's not just, it can't just be, I do dog commercials and it can't just be, I do animals commercials. It has to be, I do this kind of this specific thing because there are going to be, that's the job you're up for. And we've all had to hire before. And you're always like, you get to, you have to narrow it down quickly to like the, the best, the quickest way for me to find success is to find somebody who knows how to do the thing that I'm hiring for specifically.
0: Thank you, guys. Can't wait for to see it. I'm looking it. forward to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. I'll um, I'll keep you updated because there there are the, these two two brands that I've reached out to, like that I have connections to, and I do feel like I can play within, I can use those brands within the box of what I feel comfortable with.
3: Sweet
1: small dogs. Small dogs.
0: <laughs> no cats. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, it's in my contract I don't work with that <laughs> um, so yeah that's been the No Film School Podcast for the week of November 3rd everybody I'm on the internet at Charles Zane in all of the places except not on the Mastodon yet although I guess Mastodon is where everybody is going from Twitter so maybe I'll go get my Mastodon account soon Okay, but you know I'm on the Instagram and the Twitter as Charles Zane and I'm on the YouTube as Charles Zane
0: I'm at Lost in Graceland and you can find my work at gghawkins.com. And uh, and I was like, had a question. I was like, should I get off Twitter? Um, so I'll probably, I don't know. I don't tweet really. So
2: Yeah, I, I've also been wondering that. I am Todd Blankenship. You can find me on YouTube and Instagram at am I a filmmaker?
3: And I'm George gentleman editor in chief at No Film School. And please like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast and this YouTube channel, and leave comments. I've seen some really funny comments. Someone's asked, "What's on Todd's whiteboard?" <laughs> it seems to change, um, but we can definitely do like a "What's on Todd's whiteboard" <laughs> segment going forward. Oh, I like for that. those of you who want to watch. Uh, and also, Gigi, is that like a a monster with teeth on your show? Yes. Like I, we can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's there's stuff. It,
1: I'll and at some point,
3: about I will it tell. Next yeah, at some point I'll start telling people about the very strange things in my world. And Charles has some movie posters. Anyway, so be sure to connect with us on YouTube and the podcast networks where if you did your podcast and your questions to editor at nofilmschool.com because we like to answer them and follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And you can find me and my personal Twitter at George Edelman. And here's the thing about Twitter. Yes, it's owned now by bad guy, but so is almost every company. And so is almost all tech so you know what, what a note to end on <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's the world we live in um, and we're all doomed and everything is terrible have TV. a good week guys <laughs> find me the big find me the big tech company that's owned by a great person <laughs> <laughs> he says on the big tech companies There might Catagonia? be
1: one right? i was thinking oh, they're I'm awesome thinking but they're not tech, like right?
0: they have uh tech gear patagonia they are those awesome. jackets that's, are very technical oh uh, there and, was an adam they're very high tech
1: if
2: you believe in what <laughs> adam ruins everything did an episode about why the patagonia guy is also a bad person if you want to
3: check Oh no! <laughs> look, wow that that should be the name of my personal like george ruins everything i'm just like a moving storm cloud guys like that's <laughs> uh don't let the smile fool you okay thanks everybody for listening see you next week